Scripture reading tonight comes from Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, I'll be reading from the New King James. Let me change that. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. This section of scripture comes right after Stephen had been stoned. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. When we want to know what the New Testament church ought to be like today, particularly what, how, the, how the church should operate and how it should be organized and, and what it should teach and how it should worship and, and the things along those lines, we do well to look back into the New Testament and examine the things that the New Testament church did in the first century. Likewise, when we think about the Christian life that we are to be living, it's important for us as Christians today to look back and to see particularly how Jesus lived, because that's who ultimately we're following. It's important to see how he operated and how he interacted with other people. But second to that, it was also likewise beneficial to us to consider some early Christians and the way that they lived and the way that they operated and how they, as individuals, uh, as individual Christians, served Christ and what, what it is that they did in, in the early stages, the infancy of the church. And so this evening, I want us to consider the life of Stephen, oftentimes known as the first Christian martyr. He's one of the first Christians that we come across in the book of Acts, and he's one of those that sometimes you've heard the saying before, if you were to be put on trial for being a Christian, could you be convicted? Would there be enough evidence to, to convict you of the things that, that are within your life to, to maybe uh, punish you for that particular, uh, that particular thing that someone is, is asking about you. And in this case, we might say that, that, was, that was truly the case for Stephen, that as these individuals were putting him on trial, as it were, there was enough evidence to convict him of being a Christian. Now, it doesn't mean that he deserved the, the death that he went to for that very case of being a Christian, but we see that ultimately that's what happened. And so as we think about Stephen, as a follower of Christ, we can make some observations about his life and say, what is it about Stephen that made him someone that was truly worthy of the gospel and someone that was truly following Jesus and emulating Jesus in his life? We mentioned a moment ago that it's important for us to first and foremost look at Jesus and then to look also at other Christians in the first century and examine the things that they did, but only those things particularly that they did that we're following and patterning after Jesus in his life. And so let's make five observations in our lesson this evening about this individual Stephen and how it was that he was like Christ in a number of different ways. Number one this evening, consider with me the meanings associated with the names of both Stephen and Jesus. The meanings associated with both the names Jesus Christ and Stephen. 
Both names, interestingly, it's just kind of a side note, both names, interestingly, have something to do with what's put upon their heads. When we think about Jesus Christ, it's, it's not the case that that word Christ or that name Christ is not Jesus' last name, as it were, as sometimes we might think of that second name being someone's last name. Instead, as you think about Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 16, when Peter made that great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that word there, Christos, in the original language, has to do with someone that is anointed. More particularly, Peter was acknowledging that, that Jesus was the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that was truly appointed to kingship. Some writers indicate that in ancient times, the heads of sheep, of those sheep that are part of a flock, would be anointed with oil to, to help protect their ears and their head from ticks and fleas and that type of thing. And over time, the anointing of one's head with oil symbolized this concept of protection and ultimately blessing. When you think about Psalm 23, in which the psalmist says, He anoints my head with oil. Is, is the Lord trying to protect us, in a sense, from, flicks, from fleas and ticks? Certainly not. Uh, what he's talking about in this concept is, is communicating is this idea of blessing and this idea of protection. And so that symbol of blessing was used in the anointing of kings and priests, the receiving the blessing for the office that they now held. And so that's as we think about the word Christos, or the, the title that's associated with Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, th something that's placed upon his head, ultimately the crown uh, of kingship, if you will. But as you think about the name Stephen, that word Stephen or Stephanos in the original language is the same word that you find in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10, in which that particular word is referenced, is, is communicated to us, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown, the Stephanos of life. The victory crown is that Stephanos crown. It's the same word, the same uh, iteration in regards to the, the name of Stephen. And so, incidentally, as one writer said, Stephen was the first Christian to gain the crown by martyrdom. However, it's not the, the name and the things that are associated with those names, thinking about crown or the anointing of, of, of oil being put upon someone's head that's, that's most important about Stephen. What's more important is this, the fact that Stephen wore the name of Christ and the fact that he was a Christian that he took upon himself that name of Christian as he lived. And when we think of Stephen, oftentimes the first thing that comes to mind is Stephen, the first Christian martyr. When we hear the name Stephen, we think about the fact that he was a faithful Christian even to the point of death. And we might say he is a truly dedicated Christian all the way to the point of death. And considering application for this thought, we might ask the question, what name could you be known by? as a Christian. In the case of Stephen, he was a dedicated Christian. He was a, a martyred Christian. Are you a Christian that is hateful? Maybe you're Joe the hateful Christian. Or are you known as Joe the loving Christian? Or maybe Jonathan the hypocritical Christian. Or instead, are you known as Jonathan the consistent Christian? Maybe Celicia the Christian gossip or on the other side. Celicia, the Christian that is a confidant, someone that is truly worthy and, and, and trustworthy. When others think of you, what's the first thing that pops into their mind? As we said with Stephen, the first thing that oftentimes pops into our mind is the fact that he was a dedicated martyr. To the point of death, he was a faithful Christian. When I say apple tree, 
probably the first thing that comes to your mind. Yes, I understand you're thinking of a tree, but the first thing that comes to your mind is likely that apple hanging from that tree. Likewise, when you think of a banana tree, those clumps of bananas, you, when you think of a tree, you think of the fruit that's associated with that tree to identify it, to separate it apart. Consider what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. And talking about the fruit of individuals' lives. Beware of false prophets, Jesus said in verse 15, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Okay, what does this have to do with me? Maybe I'm not a false teacher. Maybe I'm not a false prophet. Maybe I'm not saying things that are not necessarily uh, inaccurate in, in regards to doctrine in, in the words of God. Maybe the case that you never teach something that is inherently doctrinally wrong, but by your fruits. And those fruits associated with your name, as we said a moment ago, Joe, the hateful Christian, or, or some lady that's a gossip instead of someone that's a confidant. And though that people recognize they're a Christian, what else is tagged on to that name? As it is the case with regard to Stephen, the first Christian martyr, what's the first thing that comes to mind about your name? Are you someone that is is worthy to be followed because of the good characteristics that you have, or are you wearing the name of Christ in a dishonorable way? We need to consider that as Christians, we have likewise been anointed, in a sense, as a royal priesthood. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, that you and I have been anointed by God, not in a literal sense, but in a figurative one, that God has designated, bestowed upon us a special blessing, a blessing that is that we are set apart as children of his, as a royal priesthood, to perform the duties that he de deems necessary. When we truly recognize this blessing of responsibility, that we've been anointed, that we've been given this particular blessing, and we live in a manner that bears good fruit, we will also have the blessing of receiving the same crown that Stephen received, that Stephanos crown that is promised in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. And so the meanings associated with their names, we consider secondly, the meekness in submission that both Stephen and Christ demonstrate. We learn in Acts chapter 6, if you're already in, in Acts chapter 7, in our main text this evening, and thinking about Stephen and his martyrdom there in the first account of, of a martyred Christian. If you go back the previous chapter, we are first introduced to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we find that there's a problem in which the Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenistic widows are not being taken care of as they should have been that they weren't receiving the things that they needed in the daily distribution in order for their needs to be met. And so the first time that we meet Stephen is in this particular chapter, in this particular uh, context, in which when learning of the issue, there was a solution put in place by the 12 apostles, in which they appointed seven or selected seven particular men to tend to the physical task of these Hellenistic widows. One of those men is Stephen. What we don't read about in Scripture, is Stephen saying something like, the, like this? Are, are they really going to occupy my time with tending to the needs of these Hellenistic Christians? This is something that should have already been taken care of anyway. Why, why am I going to be saddled with this particular burden? 
Instead, we read of Stephen and the other men taking upon this responsibility to the point that in verse number seven, the word of God spread. What we don't read about in, in this particular context is Stephen saying something like, can you believe that those apostles said that, that they were to be about the word of God instead of serving tables? Can you believe that they said that? We don't read about Stephen saying something like that. We don't read about Stephen saying, can you believe that they said that they were just going to give themselves to the ministry of the word? Why do they think they're so high and mighty? Why do they think that they're the ones that should be handling the spiritual ministry? Why are they giving me this particular physical task to make sure the distribution is met to the Hellenistic widows? We don't read about Stephen acting this way. Instead, what we read about in regards to Stephen and these other men is that they were submitting to authority. To the point that in verse number seven, because of their submission, as we mentioned a moment ago, that the word of God increased, that it spread and had greater impact. And you think about Jesus, recognizing that these thoughts aren't necessarily entirely possible and don't necessarily logically follow through with the nature of the Trinity. Can you imagine a discussion among the Trinity after the fall of man occurred, after the first sin in the garden? In which Jesus, after having this communicated to him, if you will, that, that he was to be the one that was to go and offer himself. Can you imagine Jesus saying, are, are you sure? Why not the Spirit? Shouldn't the Spirit go do this instead, instead of me? Why, why do I have to incarnate, take on flesh? Instead, if we consider Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, that great section of Scripture, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When you think about Jesus and his submission, when you think about Stephen and his submission, we need to ask ourselves this question today. Do I show meekness in submission as a Christian? Do I have meekness in the way that I'm supposed to submit to authority, those individuals that have authority in my life. If we were to consider a few chapters over from Philippians chapter 2, talking about Jesus, the ultimate example of submission, we would see in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 25, that Paul enumerates a number of particular areas in which all of us are to be involved in submitting children to parents, wives to husbands. We think about asking the question, what about us as church members? Are we submitting to our elders? Youth group members, are you submitting to the authority of various chaperones and to the youth deacons? Students, are you submitting to your teachers, employees, to management, citizens, to governments and law systems? Ultimately, submission is about recognizing authority. Some associate the seven men of Acts chapter 6 with the office of a deacon. Perhaps that's true. Whether this is true or not, I would dare say that at some point in the history of the church, a deacon or any other church member that was tasked with a physical task may have thought to themselves or even said aloud, why do they think, talking about the elders, that they're so high and mighty? I'm capable of doing more than dealing with fill in the blank, such as tending to the needs of the Hellenistic widows. Someone else should do this. I should be filling this responsibility over here that's, that's a larger responsibility or more important task. Instead, that's not what we see Stephen doing. That's not what we should be doing either. If the elders come to us and they ask us to fulfill a particular role or responsibility, we should be humble and meek and submissive and be like Stephen to do those things that maybe even seem like menial tasks and do them anyway. Consider also, number three, 
The similarity between Stephen and Jesus the Christ is the similarity in the message that they taught. The message that they taught. Stephen didn't let the assignment of physical ministry, though he took it on with, with him, uh, realizing its importance and didn't neglect it. In chapter 7, we see that even though he was fulfilling a physical responsibility, that he was also not neglecting the opportunity to minister to others in a spiritual sense. In Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 60, we have the account of Stephen's great sermon, his discourse on the fact that God, over time, had done many things for the Jewish people. He had provided for them so many different things, and yet the Jewish fathers reacted in such a poor manner. In verse number 5 of Acts chapter 7, Stephen talks about the fact that God promised. In verse number 8, that God gave. Verses 9 and 10, that God was with them. In verse number 27, uh, in verse number 10, that God delivered them, and also verse 34. And you compare that, and then he is kind of a contrasting approach here, whereas God provided, and God promised, and God delivered, and God gave. And then throughout this sermon that, that Stephen is preaching, he contrasts it with the fact that the, the, the Jewish fathers, that though God had done all these things, they were still envious of Joseph, verse number 9. That they still rejected Moses in verse number 27. That they would not obey, verse 39. And that they sacrificed to idols in verse 41. The point of Stephen's sermon was to say, look, all of these years God has promised things to you, to these Jewish fathers, and provided for you and delivered you. And yet they constantly ignored what God had done for them. And Stephen, as he's preaching to the Sanhedrin, says, you guys are no different. You're doing the same thing. God provided Jesus to you, and yet... Here you are rejecting him again, ultimately leading to Christ's death. In a very similar sense, Jesus knowing the hearts of the Pharisees as he preached in his ministry. As he knew their hearts and the future atrocity that they would commit against him, often condemned the Pharisees for ignoring what God had done and promised and provided in Christ himself. Matthew chapter 23, a great text in which over and over again, Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And there's a number of reasons why that woe is attributed to them. And ultimately, it had to do with the same fact that Stephen was getting at, that the Pharisees were just like the fathers before them that were ignoring and rejecting this Jesus that over time that the fathers were ignoring and rejecting the prophets and those that God had sent. And here was Jesus, now he had been sent. And the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the day in the first century, they were also ignoring and rejecting Jesus. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we guilty of the same thing? Ignoring and rejecting what God has provided and done for us and how he has delivered us over, over time, time and time again, and yet we're rejecting those blessings that God has given to us? Or are we preaching the same message of truth? that both Christ and Stephen preached. A message that says, look what God has done in Christ Jesus. The message that they taught, their meekness and submission, the similarities in the names that they had. Consider, number four, the manners in which they died. The manner in which they died. Four remarkable similarities in the deaths of both Jesus and Stephen. Number one, if you were to look at the end of Acts chapter 6, you would see that both Stephen and Jesus had false witnesses accusing them and a mockery of a trial before the Sanhedrin. Notice at the end of chapter 6 and verse number 12 and 13, 
They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, talking about Stephen, and seized him and brought him to the council or the Sanhedrin. And then verse 13, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. You recall Luke chapter 22, verses 47 and following, and the kangaroo court that Jesus endured, and the false witnesses that were brought before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, ultimately, and the things that they accused Jesus of that were, were inaccurate, that were not true. Here is Stephen also, likewise, enduring a false witness, enduring a mockery of a trial. But secondly, both Stephen and Jesus died because of their loyal submission to the Father and his purposes. Jesus, though he prayed in agony, God, if there's another way, let it be done. Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Stephen could have given in as they came upon him, as they drug him through uh, the, the, the streets and up to the court. He could have given in and said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll stop. But in loyal submission, Stephen went to his death, a death of stoning. Both Stephen and Jesus, number three, died because they were willing to speak the truth, even when it was a liability to, the, to their well-being, to speak only what was true, to speak what everyone needed to hear, what was truly what was most needed. And number four, both Stephen and Jesus were sympathetic to the sins of their transgressors. Another interesting similarity between Jesus and his death. As he looked down and thought of, about all of what was going on in the world and how he ended up there on the cross, that Jesus cared about even those that had put, them, put him on the cross. And yet here is Stephen in a very similar sense, and likewise fashion, even when he was being stoned to death, Stephen asked that, that it would not be held to their account. That it would not be held to their account. It's remarkable to think about the similarities between the death of Stephen and the death of Christ. And certainly the death of Christ was far more monumental than what it actually accomplished. But as we think about these character studies and when we look to Stephen and see how he was like Jesus, Jesus may, Stephen may never have been more like Jesus in his final moments in which he asked the Father to forgive those that were transgressing against him. In application, we have to ask ourselves, have you died to self? Have I died to self? Am I a Christian martyr? Not in the sense that I am dying in a physical sense for the cause of Christ, though it may come to that. But have I died to self in the sense that I am dying as a martyr to my own desires, to my own pleasures, the things that I want, that I wish that I would, would have? Have I become a martyr in that sense? Jesus taught these ideas, these concepts in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28, the concept of, of dying to self. Secondly, are, are you willing, am I willing, to speak the truth no matter the cost, like Stephen was, even to the point where it might end up leading to your death? We, we lament and we cry out and we, we talk about the fact over and over again, oh, I wish that maybe our, our country would, would, would hold to more Christian principles and we think about all the things that are going by the wayside and the things that are, are going on in a moral sense in our country. And it may continue to get worse. It may even come to the point that you and I are truly, like we said at the very beginning of the lesson, on trial could we be convicted for being a Christian? And are we willing to go to the end of our life 
speaking the truth no matter the cost? And number three, by way of application, are you willing and able to forgive even at the point of death? You know, there are some people who go to their grave unwilling to forgive someone that wronged them. And yet Jesus and Stephen went to their graves forgiving of the very ones who sent them there. Final observation about Stephen and his similarity to Jesus. Consider the movement that followed both the passing of Jesus and of Stephen. If you remember from our scripture reading in the beginning of Acts chapter number 8, Saul was consenting to his death, speaking of Stephen. At that time there arose a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. They all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. But notice verse 2. What happens after the death of Stephen? And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Made great lamentation over him. These men loved Stephen. Certainly there was lamentation, there was heartache because of the fact that their brother in Christ died, but no doubt it was also because of the fact that Stephen was someone that was meek in submission. That Stephen was someone that taught the message of the truth no matter what was at, at going to cause him hurt and heartache, no matter the fact that it was going to lead to his eventual death. They lamented his death because of his faithfulness to Jesus and how they admired him, no doubt. Think about this. Notice what was at the beginning of verse number one. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Saul certainly had a hard heart at this point, was unwilling to hear the gospel, but who knows whether or not Stephen's willingness to die for the faith had come, had some sort of impact on him. I can't help but think about the statement that Saul, later Paul, made about the planting of the seed in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, in which Paul said that I planted and Apollos watered. Maybe Paul's thinking about in his life, maybe he thought about the seed of the gospel being planted by even Stephen. Thinking about what happened in Saul's life eventually and how he became a Christian and a great apostle for the cause of Christ. Furthermore, it seems the movement of Christianity not only had, and, and what happened in, in Stephen's life not only had an impact on Saul, but it also had an impact on the movement of Christianity. It only grew stronger, not weaker, despite the first occasion of martyrdom among the followers of Christ. They lamented, yes, in verse number two, but then what happened? Notice verse four. Therefore, those who were scattered because of this persecution, in verse number two and one, because of this persecution, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Not any different than what happened after the death of Jesus and the great commission that Jesus gave and ultimately what happened at the establishment of the church in Acts chapter 2 in which there were 3,000 souls that were added to the church. The movement that followed Christ's passing and then ultimately the movement that followed the passing of Stephen. Will others mourn your passing? More importantly, is the cause of Christ going to suffer or flourish when you pass on? Is the cause of Christ going to be better off because you passed on, because you're hurting it as a hypocritical Christian? Or will it flourish because you would have had the opportunity in thinking about, will it flourish in the sense that, that you 
went on and now people are having the opportunity to, to, to spread the good news of the cause of Christ in a better sense, or will it suffer because you went on and all the good things that you had been doing? Is your life leaving a legacy of good for the cause of Christ, or is your life a detriment to its efforts? When we think about Stephen, the first Christian martyr, we have to ask ourselves, am I someone that is making an impact? Am I leaving a legacy in this life to the point where there will be a movement even after the following of my passing, perhaps, because people will be more motivated to live for Christ because of the things that I did in my life or that you did in your life for the cause of Christ, and say, I want to be more like him in the way that I live, and I'm going to pick up that mantle that, that he's passing on or she's passing on to me so that I can be someone that is truly a, a bastion for the cause of Christ? Am I somebody that is going to the, go to my death proclaiming the truth no matter, no matter what? Am I someone that's going to teach the truth no matter what? Am I somebody that is going to wear the name of Christ and show meekness and submission in every circumstance of life? Are you a New Testament Christian this evening? Are you somebody that's living like Stephen, following after the principles of Christ? Have you had your sins washed away in the water grave of baptism? Are you walking in newness of life? There's a lot of difficulty going on in the world right now, certainly. But one way for the burdens on your shoulders to be lifted more than any other way is to have the burden of sin lifted off of you, to have those things washed away. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, and that's the, the prescription that was given in, in the first gospel sermon that Peter preached. If you are a Christian and you're not living up to even the things that Stephen did, and, and more importantly, the way that Christ lived, make those things right. Do better tonight. If there's anything that we can do for you, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.